0: The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, Act 3. And Act 3 scene when we finally arrive at Hamlet's famous speech, To Be or Not to Be, that is the question. And while we're going to dig into it in class and break it down line by line, I do think it's important to establish the fact that his speech comes framed with on the front end Conversations about spying between the king and Polonius on Hamlet after their efforts with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern have not provided any sort of information. And then the back end of this speech is Hamlet and Ophelia going through a very strange conversation. So it's important to keep in mind as we go through this speech, which we will in class, is that the heart of it is focused on this idea that human life has a great deal of suffering. And yet we accept this suffering because we truly don't understand death beyond that it's final and no one comes back from it. So it's important to understand that while Hamlet is suffering throughout this entire play and he's dealing with his own depression dealt with dealing or connected to the death of his father and the situation with his mother remarrying and now he has a ghost who's told him that his father was murdered. that he's asking the audience, he's asking himself, you know, is this all worth it? We tend to work as humans on kind of a reward system that if we put the time in, put the energy and if we go through something that's difficult, that we will be better for it. And Hamlet's asking that question. What is the end result here? If he goes through all this, if he chooses to act or he doesn't choose to act, okay, what is the difference? It's an important question. If he just sort of went along with things, could he be Okay. If he fights against King Claudius, what is the out, what is the most fruitful outcome that can be provided? So, as we look at Act Three, Scene One, it's important to really understand the fact that we're talking about suffering, and there's a lot of ways that, to break it down. There's a lot more talented scholars than myself who can probably present a much more deep review and analysis. But I do think we need to focus on this idea of acceptance and what are we willing to accept and what are we willing to go through with an unknown achievement on the other side. It's easy to tell yourself, if I get through this, that I will be better or there's a reward at the end. But if we're suffering just for suffering's sake, is someone going to be willing to go through it? Are you going to buy in? Are you going to say, okay, I'll I'll keep going through this even though there's no potential reward or even change. You're just going to suffer for the sake of suffering and you're going to continue to suffer. The back end of this speech rolls into a conversation with Ophelia where Hamlet is very mean and nasty to Ophelia. And in Act 3, Scene 1, we see a great deal of aggression towards her. He doesn't love her. He's very cruel and dismissive of her and then by the end of the act he's kind of gone back he's flirting with her he's being nice to her and as much as we want to talk about Hamlet and his madness we also need to talk about his just general mental state and his thoughts okay it, I don't think it's by accident that he's contemplating what it means to suffer and what it means to live and then he goes in and he's very aggressive with his feelings about how he never really loved Ophelia and he hurts her feelings. This lashing out shows the immaturity, but it's also showing the fact that he's not probably in control as much as we would think or want him to be, or at least he, he's saying he is. Okay. So we're going to talk about the, the quote, a bunch of different quotes from this section in class. But I just wanted you guys to really focus on this idea of suffering. What does it mean to live? Which I know is a really vague, general, big question. But really, what are we willing to go through when success is at the end of that trial? But at the same time, what are we willing to go through if there's no guarantee of success? And that's what Hamlet is dealing with. So we're going to really talk about that speech. We're going to go through it line by line. There's a lot of depth to it. And this whole thing is surrounded, as always, with this play within plays by this upcoming spying that's going to go on with Hamlet. And the reality is Hamlet is acting erratically because I don't think he understands or knows how to feel about these scenarios. Which, considering his age, his experience, and the situation he is, is in, is very understandable. Okay, we're going to pick this up with Act 3, Scene 2. And I hope you guys are enjoying the play so far. Act 3, Scene 2. In Act 3, Scene 2, the acting troupe returns to put on a play. And Hamlet, remember, has put a lot of stock into the actor's ability to present this play, which he has retitled The Mousetrap, to the court in hopes that the message and the action on stage will infiltrate the king's conscious and mental state and that he believes that if the king is moved emotionally by what's going on potentially damaged by what's going on on stage that it will prove that the ghost and what the ghost has said is true now remember the ghost hamlet believes the ghost but still isn't willing to act on just what the ghost has said he seems to need another level of truth or proof And in this scene, we get a lot of small conversations. Horatio returns to the situation. Hamlet and Ophelia go back and forth again, a little bit more flirty from Hamlet. He seems to be nicer to her in this setting. She's sort of confused by it. All the back and forth is really affecting her. And then the play itself basically mirrors the death of King Hamlet. And Claudius, of course, doesn't like this play. He gets up. He leaves. And in that moment, Hamlet believes that the ghost, the words of the ghost, the accusation of the ghost has been proven. And this is a big moment because, once again, this was done through the actors. It was that the human experience, the truest essence of the human experience could be tapped into by the portrayal of a play. This wasn't a court scene. This wasn't, you know, a big argument. This was a play that got put on that in Hamlet's mind, because Claudius reacts so poorly, is proving his guilt. So, from... A couple perspectives. we got to think about this through the light that it's the actors who have the power. It's the actors who can bring the truth to the light. It's through fiction that the truest essence of what it means to be human will rise to the surface. Things can't be hidden because you'll be moved emotionally. And that there's behaviors that you're able to keep deep down inside you during your traditional work day can't be protected when it comes to great acting or the great portrayal of fiction. It's an interesting element to the play because what we're looking at here is this idea that people can be fake and put up a facade in their daily life and they can get used to the rhythm Mm -mm. Of who they are. But when they let their guard down. And they embrace. What is supposed to be entertaining. That they can't really hide. From the truth. And in this case. Claudius can't hide from the truth. Because the play is depicting exactly what. He's been accused of doing. At least by Hamlet and the ghost. And it's important to note that. That the power here while this play ends up being violent in the end, that one of the biggest turning points of the play is presented by the actors who are bringing truth to the surface. Hamlet ends Act 3, Scene 2 with another small, quick speech to the audience where he points out that he will speak with daggers to his mother, but use none. So while he's... We're seeing this consistency where he he plans to be violent physically with Claudius. He's been verbally distant and and possibly abusive to Ophelia. And he he intends to be the same way with his mother. Where he won't hurt her or harm her, but she's going to feel his wrath verbally. And we're going to see how that plays out in the rest of the scene. Act three, scene three. In act three, scene three, the king meets with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and talks to them very quickly about sending Hamlet to England with them. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern end up becoming caught in the crossfire of this whole scenario Uh, yes, they know they're spying. We do not know their ability to sort of speak for themselves. Uh, They are following what the king is asking them to do, and they end up getting caught in the crossfires, and Hamlet is able to flip the script on them and King Claudius uh, later in the play, which we'll talk about. We'll spend some time talking about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern because they're not throwaway characters. They do represent, I think, a couple different possibilities and we will spend some time with them. But the biggest factor here is in act 3 scene 3 is that King Claudius is praying. And he's praying and in his prayer prior to his prayer actually, he's admitting basically everything that the ghost has accused him of that Hamlet believes to be true. And he's talking about his brother's murder, he's talking about his ambition for the crown, his queen uh, the corruption of the world. There's elements of politics. There's elements of family. It's all mixed in here. And as we've talked about this play, as we've talked about Denmark and the politics going on and, and what's happening and the fear of being weak and the the potential that Fortinbras could be entering from Norway, it's all in this little scene that King Claudius, this is his first major speech, in my opinion, in the play, And we get all of it. We get the politics. We get the guilt. We get the emission of guilt. And most importantly, we start to he becomes a little bit more human. He gets humanized in this scene. Not that he's a good guy. I think it's pretty clear that he's made mistakes and he's a murderer. But that there's more pressure that he's under now that maybe he didn't expect. And when he kneels to pray, Hamlet enters, and Hamlet has this moment where he can stab and kill Claudius. But because he's praying, Hamlet decides not to kill him. And the biggest reason for this is that he's very fearful that if he kills him while he's praying, Claudius would go to heaven. And this is a really important element to consider. Because on one hand, we have in Act 3, Scene 1, Hamlet talking about death and it being this great unknown, and that human suffering is connected to living. But we don't understand exactly what it means to die, and only that we know that no one comes back from it. But in Act 3, Scene 3, we return to this Christian belief that there's a heaven and a hell, and Hamlet wants to send Claudius to hell, and killing him only when he's sinning will guarantee that. All right, so there's a shift in belief systems, which I think you, you is, is very reasonable. Hamlet's at an age where he's questioning things. He's going through a lot with his own emotional feelings. And his thought process is the question, which is, which, me, which makes perfect sense. Okay, So this is not a play that's centered around a variety of religious beliefs. This is a play that's centered around a man, Hamlet, who's at an age where he doesn't know what to believe, what to trust, and he keeps going back and forth over what he's been told, over what he feels, and those things don't always correlate. Okay, so if you look at Act 3, Scene 1, in an agnostic way, with his approach to death and the afterlife, we get a very Christian thought in act three, scene three. And I think the one way to look at it, it speaks to the fact that Hamlet's very unsure of everything other than the fact he knows that Claudius is a murderer. But if there's any chance that in killing Claudius, it could send him to a better place, Hamlet is unwilling to risk that. So make sure you keep that in mind. And that ultimately what we need to focus on here is, is that Hamlet is open to many different thoughts and ideas because he is questioning everything. And I think it, it's a very important factor in the play that when we talk about a character knowing himself, you don't really get that sense of knowing yourself until you're truly tested. And your principles and beliefs are being tested. And that is what's happening with Hamlet here. And he's open. And he's being honest. And I think that's what we really need to focus on. Act 3, scene 4. Act 3, scene 4 is one of the wildest scenes in the play. First off... Hamlet and the Queen finally have a conversation where Hamlet really verbally assaults Queen Gertrude. Um, She tries to sort of parry the attack, but ultimately Hamlet is the aggressor and she's unable to sort of defend herself in any real way while this is going on. And it's incredible because at the beginning of the scene, I mean, this is right away, Hamlet comes in fired up. He's willing to talk to his mom about what's going on. And he quickly sees someone standing behind a curtain, which he then stabs. And it's Polonius back there who was trying to spy on Hamlet and Gertrude's conversation. So Polonius dies with one of those ridiculous lines, I am slain, which of course is a strange thing to yell out while you're dying. But Polonius is killed. So, this is Hamlet's first major act of physical violence, which is followed by his verbal assault on his mother. Okay. And the queen is caught off guard by this. She goes, basically, why did you do this? And Hamlet, one of his lines, line 34 and 35, a bloody deed. Almost as bad, good mother, as kill a king and marry with his brother. So the death of Polonius doesn't seem to phase Hamlet in the slightest. And he seems to really want to make sure that Gertrude knows that he understands what has occurred, what has happened, and that while he's not going to physically harm her. That their relationship's not gonna be the same. There isn't gonna be a love there, but that he knows. And in a play where we talk a lot about knowledge and misinformation and misdirection, that Hamlet is becoming more powerful the more confident he is with his knowledge. Okay, first it was the ghost and that was kind of shaky. And then it was the play that confirmed Claudius's behavior. Then it was Claudius's confession slash prayer and now leads into Hamlet's assault and death of Polonius while accidental doesn't seem to stop Hamlet at all in this moment. It's one of these things when he sees that he's killed Polonius, he's not really fazed by it. The queen is completely upset, but there's a lot of judgment of how has acted. And Hamlet in this scene is very much focused on this rapid fire presentation of words and ideas. And I think it, when we watch this and a lot of actors do this differently, it's incredible to point out that when we talk about madness and we talk about Hamlet's sanity, that after killing Polonius you can see that there's an adrenaline rush that he's going through. And it plays out less like someone who's crazy. Now, the actor could always portray him as crazy. But someone who feels invigorated by this knowledge that he is on a path of revenge and this revenge is not unfounded. In fact, it's the opposite. He has the, the facts that justify what he's doing. And he's very much against what Gertrude has done. He's letting her have it and doesn't seem to believe that love in the way that he sees love, there's no way that he his mom, Gertrude, could have ever loved Claudius. And this idea that this had to be something that was political. And while Hamlet never says that to her, she's unable to sort of defend herself in any way other than saying that Hamlet was hurting her feelings. The ghost reappears in Act Three, Scene Four, to remind Hamlet that his mother's not a target, Polonius was not a target, and that it's only King Claudius, which is the focus. And this is one of these parts where she's like, who, is, who are you talking to? Do you, and this, is, this leads Gertrude to believe that Hamlet's going crazy. And as audience members, we have to decide the validity of this ghost. Is the ghost... we got to believe it's not just a figment of Hamlet's imagination, because Horatio saw it, Marcellus saw it. But in this moment, is the ghost truly reappearing? or is this hamlet's mental state as far as his conscious kicking back in to be like hey remember remember stay on task so keep in mind as we look at this scene which we will watch and go through the speeches and these big block quotes that hamlet is constantly speaking in that it's in the volume of his thoughts and ideas where it's not that Hamlet is crazy or he's mad in the sense of being insane. It's that he has a lot of things going on in his head. And while he's working those out, we've seen it internally or internalized when when he gives the speeches just to the audience. But we're finally seeing it set forth and presented at someone else. So while he seems steadfast in his resolve to go after Claudius and going after Gertrude emotionally, he's still working through these big ideas. And this idea that, oh, just go kill Claudius. It's not a big deal. He's thinking about this from a standpoint of heaven and hell, He's working out what it means to live, what it means to die, what it means to suffer, what it means to be a son. And now we're seeing what it means to kill, and he drags pulling his body off the stage at the end of the scene. So while we think about the end of Act 3, it's a major turning point in the play because we finally have Hamlet acting in a way that while not killing Claudius it's been consistent with this idea that he's on this path of self-discovery in the face of tremendous adversity and conflict within himself which I don't think anyone should take lightly or just assume that this is a guy who's being wishy-washy about simple decisions we'll pick this up with act four as we go through the play we have two acts left and I hope you're enjoying what we're working through